0: Katie Dunleavy with My Chronic Illness and Me. As someone who's struggled with chronic illness for more than 15 years, I've often felt incredibly isolated in my journey. Now, as a coach for others dealing with chronic illness, I've realized I'm not alone in feeling that way. There just aren't a lot of forums out there where people can connect about their experiences with chronic illness. So this is That Space, a place where we can educate each other about different illnesses, dispel myths, and most importantly, share our stories. Let's dive in. Today I'm talking to Trisha, an entrepreneur and mom of two from Florida. I talked to her about the mental math people with chronic illness do day to day, navigating health fluctuations with friends and long-term partners, and how living with a chronic illness can shape how you see yourself and your gifts. Enjoy. Hi Trisha. Hey Katie, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you?
1: I am good today. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining me. I'm really excited to talk. We did coach training together, but we haven't talked or or seen each other in months and months, so it's lovely to see your face. Yes, you
1: too. It brings back great memories of that time. That was such a special and formative time that I have a lot of affection for.
0: Yeah, me too. In a a weird way, I miss those really long, like 10-hour days, three days in a row weekends. (laughs) Yes. Life-changing though, right? (laughs) Truly, truly. Yes. So I'm really excited to talk to you today. And most of the time, I've just been starting out by asking people to share a little bit about themselves. So I'd love to, to learn a little bit more about you than what I know so far.
1: Okay. So my name is Trisha. I live in Tampa, Florida. I have lived here since I graduated from college. I grew up in Minneapolis. So I've done both the very cold and the very hot. I'm 46 years old. I have two children. I'm married. been married for 25
0: years next week. Wow. Congratulations. Isn't that crazy? Wow. That's
1: amazing. We were babies. We were 21 when we got married. So wow. we're 46. We've been married for 25 years, and my two sons are 18 and 21. My youngest just graduated from high school and is starting college this fall, and my oldest is starting law school this fall.
0: Wow,
1: big milestones. Yeah, yeah, it's really crazy. So I am wife, mom, I am a personal development coach, which is my passion. I absolutely love doing that. And my husband and I are serial entrepreneurs, so we own multiple businesses through our life. We own a nonprofit that we make films that um, are encouraging and inspirational and our nonprofit distributes them for free to educational and charitable institutions. So we do that. My husband is a keynote speaker. So we do all kinds of things, have all kinds of fun.
0: And I juggle it all with chronic illness. Yeah. Wow. That's so much. I didn't realize that you also had a nonprofit in addition to doing coaching and your podcast, which can you tell us about real quick? Yes. Yes. So, one of
1: my really fun side projects is a podcast called Book Fair. Book Fair, like the, you know, the little fairs used to go to when you were at school, except it's spelled F-A-R-E as in come to the feast of all of these (laughs) wonderful books. So you can find it on all the podcast apps. Me and two other moms host this podcast, and we are all about helping people enrich their lives through good books, fun books, wholesome books, books for you, books to help moms if you're like feeling like I never get to use my brain to do anything deep and meaningful, like using good stories and literature as a window into that, and also how to create a family culture around books and reading that is enriching and meaningful for the family. So I love that project. I am a lifetime literature nerd. So that is a super lot of fun. We have been, we're on our almost 75th episode. So wow. Yeah, it's really fun.
0: It is really fun. I've I've listened to a couple episodes since you told me about it a couple like a month ago and I love listening to your guys conversation and and hearing what you sort of think about the different books that you talk about or last week you talked about how any how the enneagram relates to literary interpretation, right? And that was fascinating to me. Yeah, so much fun through the lens
1: of Harry Potter, right? So everybody yeah. can have fun talking <laughs> about the Enneagram and literature together. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the the literature nerd and me like really, really loves that kind of Yeah. Thing. <laughs> so you mentioned that all of this, your podcast, your nonprofit, your coaching business, being a mom, being a wife, and kind of falls alongside having chronic illness. What do you deal with? <laughs> oh, you know, I'm sure. Like with a lot of people, that can be
1: a very complicated question. I'm just going to go back to the births of my children. We'll just okay. get into the story. So I was always the kid that my mom would say, like, the flu goes through the house. Everyone else recovers in three days. Trisha takes 10 days to two weeks. So I just always felt like I just was weaker somehow, And then it really started showing up in college. And my second year in college, I was sick and down like a lot of the year. But -hmm. then I bounced back and I was better for a few years. But then after the birth of my first child, I got mastitis when he was seven days old. And the doctors could not get rid of it. It literally almost killed me.
0: Oh, my gosh. And for people who don't know, can you just describe
1: what that is? please? So, yeah, mastitis is just a simple breast infection from nursing. Right. So it's super common, like most moms that nurse get it at some point. You can get a clogged duct or whatever. I mean, usually you take three to five days of antibiotics and it's fine. Right. And my body could not fight it. And I was hospitalized for two weeks. Oh my And gosh. like I said, almost died. Like I was almost septic. They were like checking my heart and like <laughs> stuff <stop laughs> from a simple breast infection. So that took me months and months to recover from. I was really not back to being myself until he was about a year old.
0: Oh my so gosh.
1: That was my first like really traumatic like extended illness. And then after the birth of my second child, I crashed into postpartum depression 6 weeks after he was born mm-hmm. and at the same time started having recurring infections that they could not get rid of. So the mastitis was the first time it took him like five or six months to figure it out. Now Mm -hmm. I started getting into the land of it's just coming back and coming back and coming back and nobody knows why, nobody knows why I can't get rid of it. Nobody knows what's going on, all of that journey. So flash forward 18 years from that. And at this point, I know at that point I had an autoimmune condition, which is completely under control now, Mm -hmm. very, very grateful for There was a problem with one of my T-cells that my immunologist actually fixed. Like, he taught my T-cells how to work again, which was super cool. Yeah. But now, I am still fighting Lyme disease, heavy metal toxicity, and mold toxicity. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, with me, the story kind of went, they discovered the heavy metals first, the mercury poisoning, And my doctors, I spent like two or three years, this was about six years ago, trying to detox it and get rid of it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it was just not making progress. And so when they started investigating that, they found I had other heavy metals. They started trying to address that. When we got stuck there, they discovered the mold and apparently mold and mercury like to essentially wrap around each other and make it really difficult to treat either one. So you kind of have to treat them at the same time. So when I went to, um, I started with a new doctor almost a year ago, and his philosophy, which I love now, I wish other doctors would have done this. He's a holistic integrative doctor, which has been the sweet spot for me. Mm-hmm. Like not traditional medicine, not full-on naturopaths. Yeah. That Holistic functional medicine, scientifically based, but still open to incorporating
0: alternatives
1: and basing everything on real science and blood work.
0: Right. Um, Actual medical doctor and also, yeah, that's great.
1: Yep. So he believes that you test for everything, because if you don't test for everything, then you start tackling one thing and then there are these other things outlying, which was what had just happened to me. Right. So when he tested for everything, he also found Lyme disease.
0: Oh, wow. So, you hadn't been
1: tested for that before? No, or at least not in a way that picked it up. So I I think I probably had been screened for it, but I understand that unless you do the really in-depth testing, a lot of times the screening doesn't show it. Huh.
0: What was it like? I have so many questions. <laughs> I want to make, sure, make sure that you I feel like you've wrapped up what you were going to say. No, I'm good. <laughs> so, I mean... I can't imagine having a seven-day-old baby and then all of a sudden having an infection that just literally would not go away. What was that like? I mean, it was traumatic for sure. I mean, it was really,
1: really difficult. I had wanted to be a mom my whole life. I was one of those that had done, you know, all the reading, all the preparation. I desperately wanted to breastfeed, wanted to be there for my child. I had quit my full-time job. We were going to work on the video business more full time so that we could, so that I didn't have to go to work every day. Mm -hmm. And I essentially had to leave him with grandparents and just be sick for months. And like, there was a point where they had to transition him to formula without me while I was in the hospital and I'm having to get up in the night. They're making me get up and pump every three hours so that, like, the milk doesn't back up and it doesn't make the infection worse, right? So I'm right. having to set an alarm and get up every three hours to pump and pour the milk down the drain right. to take care of myself. And I'm just sitting there crying because my baby's at home without me, hmm. having to adjust to bottles and formula without me. And I'm missing, like, I missed so much of the first, like, three or four months of his life. And it was, it was really, really
0: hard. That sounds really, really hard. <laughs> I can't, I can't imagine being like, I'm literally creating this milk to nourish my child, right? That's what, that's what we all hope we're able to do. And lots of people don't or can't or don't want to, and that's totally fine. But to be producing that and then, and then having to get rid of it, why didn't, if you don't mind my asking, why didn't, why weren't they able to feed your baby the milk you were producing? It was because of the
1: type of infection I wound up having that usually you can, even when you have mastitis, but the specific type of infection I had, there was a chance it could be passed on to him.
0: Oh, interesting. Oh my gosh. And he was just not not able to be there with you. You said you had grandparents taking care of him a lot. Yep. Yeah. yeah my mom came down from Minnesota to
1: help and my husband's parents live here and they just, I mean, they just had to move in and like
0: help take care of the baby. <laughs> Oh man. How and you said it was like a year before you felt totally normal again? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was it was
1: 6 to 7 months before I could really even function on my own and I still didn't like feel that great. And then wow. but it took me several more months to really get back to where I felt like I was strong and healthy and vibrant again.
0: Wow. Do they know What caused the infection now, like looking back, do you have any more insight into that? Well, what I do have insight into
1: is, remember I said I had a T-cell that wasn't working? Yeah. So apparently the T-cell that I needed to fight that particular infection I didn't have, or they weren't working correctly. So when the immunologist finally diagnosed that, and then there was a couple of vaccine type treatments I was able to take that actually taught my T cells how to work again. So apparently I could fight it now, but at the time I couldn't. So I did not have what I needed to fight it. And so what kept happening was they'd give me a round of antibiotics. And if there was even a tiny, tiny bit left, it would come back. So they wound up having to have me on IV antibiotics at home for weeks and weeks. Did you have to
0: have people come like switch it out and everything
1: for you? Mm -hmm. Well, I could, I could do, I could hook it up myself, but they had to like come every week and bring the refrigerated little ball things.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. How did you communicate about that situation with other people in your life? I mean, obviously it sounds like your, your spouse and your parents and his parents were super supportive, but what about your friends and other family? I had a lot of good
1: support, And a lot of good friends. And I got a lot of support from people at my church. But there was still something about it that was very isolating. And it was so different. Like, I didn't know anybody that had been through anything like that. And so when you know you're having an experience that's unique to anybody you know, and everyone's just kind of flabbergasted by it, like, what? Well, Mm -hmm. this is strange. Why is this happening to you? You know, and they're they're not trying to be mean or anything like that, but you don't really have a community of people. And I didn't know how to find that. Mm -hmm. And so processing it was very hard. It was very hard to process the reality that this was my story. And this was the story of this birth of my son and his first year of life And, you know, how is this going to affect our desire or ability to have more children? And I mean, my poor husband was as traumatized as I was. Like, he was kind of like, I'm not sure I want to do this again. (laughs) And we eventually decided, you know, that we would, that we'd have a second,
0: but there was a lot to process that was really, really hard. Yeah. I mean, you talk about the isolation, and I think everybody who deals with some kind of chronic illness can understand, in one way or another, that that feeling of isolation. It's pretty rare to find people in your own life or in your own family or circle who are experiencing a similar kind of situation. And it sounds like for you that was even more difficult because it's such a rare condition that is not a normal thing to have a human body go through.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: How did you cope with that like day to day and that feeling of isolation?
1: I think at that point in my life, I was only 24. And so I think at that point I just, it was sort of just a battle through it mentality. Like we often do when we're young, it was kind of like, just get through it, just get through it. Yeah. And then I think that is one reason I sort of crashed into a postpartum depression after the birth of my second child, because I think I had put so much pressure on myself for this second one to go better. Mm -hmm. And I wanted so desperately for the experience to be a good one Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that I think all of the pressure was a factor. It wasn't everything. I mean, they're clearly looking back was hormonal triggers And just my body, I mean, I don't think the stress was the only cause of the infections, but I think it was a contributing factor because I had just sort of, I think, just kind of pushed it down and just kind of soldiered through it, Yeah, which I hadn't learned a lot of the coping skills that I know now or that I was going to be forced to learn when round two came
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a, also a very common thing that I've heard, and I know is true for me. Like, I deal with endometriosis, and throughout my entire twenties, up and down in terms of levels of pain, but progressively it just got worse and worse and worse. But I absolutely just—I I call it my white my white knuckling face. Yes. <laughs> like, I just, I just got through it. Like, I just bulldozed my way through my life every single day because I thought, well, I, you know, I have a a good job. I'm getting promoted. I care about being successful in my career. I want to go out and go on dates. I want to hang out with friends. You know, I want to have a quote unquote normal life. And it sounds like that's sort of similar in terms of wanting to have a quote unquote normal birth process and, and post birth experience. And, that sort of like urge to almost like just be in denial about, I just want this to be normal. So I'm just going to try to force it to be normal. Yes. Yes. And then you
1: finally get to a point where you have to admit, I am not normal. Mm-hmm. This is not normal. And I have to somehow face and deal with the fact that this is part of my life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that can be the hardest sort of thing. Sometimes it's a mindset shift, but sometimes it's like literally your body breaks down and you have no choice but to admit that. Yeah. Well, and I think
1: for me, it was like the existential crisis of it. Mm. Of like, I mean, for me with my faith, it was a, why has God not answered my prayer? But I think no matter what perspective you come from, whether it's, why is this my place in the universe or just... I've worked so hard at this and no one has the answers. Like no matter what perspective you're coming to it from, there is this sort of existential why, why is this happening? Why can nobody fix it? Why do I have to go through this? This is not what I wanted my life to be. And how do I move on? How do I move on from here? How do I adjust my expectations? And like you were talking about learning those coping skills so that you can both do the things you want to do and hold yourself with the grace and care and patience that it takes to live with chronic illness and have any kind of, for me, any kind of positivity and like positive mental health as well. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, because you can't be all about your illness every moment of every day, right? Yeah. I I um I've been thinking a lot about this sort of imagery of a seesaw with chronic illness and how at some points you're kind of totally down for the count because of your illness, whether it's you have a flare up or things have gotten worse or whatever and and you're kind of totally focused on your illness, but then eventually because it's chronic because we don't necessarily quote unquote get better or it doesn't go away, you have this feeling where you really want to live a normal life. And so you you try to just sort of pretend it doesn't exist, right? Or you tamp it down. And that's what we were just both talking about in terms of being a little younger and and just trying to like pave it over. Yeah. And then eventually, if you're in that sort of side of the seesaw, your body rebels against you and is like hey no <laughs> and you have a burnout and so you you switch back to the other side and so in my thinking as as a coach for people with chronic illness and it sounds like exactly what you were just saying the goal is really to find a balance where maybe the seesaw is gently moving right like we're always adjusting and that's okay but it's not the wild swinging back and forth between the extremes
1: yeah one of the things my husband and I have talked about a lot is living in hope, like continuing Mm -hmm. to live in hope as well as living in reality. So one of the things that is hardest for me about chronic illness is the things I have to cancel. Mm -hmm. I just hate making plans with friends. Like if you're going to be friends with me, you just have to know that a third, a half of the time, I'm going to text that morning or that day before and say, I'm not feeling well. I'm not going to make it. Mm-hmm. And like, there's part of me that still hates that you make friends, you know, even you make plans, even, you know, special plans. You're going to do a double date for this special occasion or go to see this special concert or do this thing or that thing. And half the time I'm waking up that morning, trying to decide, do I feel well enough to go? Yeah. And those are, are the decisions that can like torture me the most because I hate having to make that call all the time of how much of a push will this be versus how bad I'm feeling versus, I mean, if something's special enough, like you were mentioning my podcast, we had a book fair weekend this past fall where it was a Friday night and a Saturday and people came in from out of town to do it. And I mean, unless I had just been in bed with a flu or a horrible migraine. I mean, I would be there right? because it was special and it was an event we were putting on. And if I needed to recover for a few days after that, that would have been fine. right? So, but you're trying to balance this. Is it quote worth pushing for everything's worth it to some extent, or it wouldn't right. be on the calendar, Exactly. but making that, but my husband and I have kind of landed in a place of, we are going to make plans. And that is us living in hope. Like We're going to make the reservation. We're going to make plans to hang out with friends. We are going to schedule trips. Now, we're going to schedule trips where if I'm not feeling well, I can lay in the bed. Right. We don't schedule group tours where we're going to have a schedule from 7 a.m. to 10 (laughs) p.m. That's not happening. But we're going to make plans. With my children, I tried to let them do as much as was possible. And if we needed to rebudget so we could hire somebody... That could drive them when I was down, mm-hmm. then we made that choice. So we look at each other and say, this is us living in hope that good things will come. We will be able to do fun things. We can live and we want to make plans to live when I'm up to living right. and then have a lot of patience. And I have gotten a lot better at accepting where I am and at not torturing so much when I have to cancel things that's okay. And my friends love me and they understand. And I will have enough good experiences. My life is beautiful. My life is full. It's okay if we have to cancel our reservation at the Michelin starred restaurant. Right. We can go again in two more months when we can get a <laughs> reservation.
0: <laughs> but it's so hard to get to that place of acceptance. Yes. And and you mentioned, you know, even though you're so much better at being patient and accepting it, that it still kind of tortures you a little bit, right? Because yeah. you make these special plans and your body doesn't know that they're special plans, right? Your yep. body doesn't really care what day of the week it is or how long you've been waiting to do this thing. It just needs what it needs and yeah getting getting to that place of being okay with the sort of constant mental math you have to do in terms yes. of how much recovery will this need is it where is it quote unquote worth it it's so hard it's a constant constant math equation
1: yes and i think that is probably the thing that people do not understand yes They do not understand the fatigue and the toll that it takes to have that be a constant part of your existence. How much energy do I have? How much mental energy do I have? Okay, I have mental energy. I'm thinking really clearly right now, but based on this week, that will probably only last an hour to an hour and a half. What do I do with it? Yep. It's literally constant and it's exhausting. Sorry, And to make a choice between, is it my kids' medical records that need updating because we have an appointment in two days? Is it the work to plan the next podcast? Is it like my own self-care? Do I need to process something that my therapist gave me to work on? And I may not have another hour until tomorrow, even though it's only 1 p.m.
0: It's really hard. It's really, really hard. I've been thinking about this so much recently because I've been having an um a pretty rough flare-up of endometriosis. I had surgery like three and a half years ago, and it, it's basically to the point where I've decided I need to have another surgery in the fall. And the past six months or so have just been getting harder and harder. Like I'm I'm exhausted more of the time. I'm having more pain. And so my partner and I have been talking about this so much because there are times when he's like, I feel like you're being too ambitious with the plans that you're making. And I'm like, okay, I, I hear that. And also I am constantly, like literally constantly making equations in my head. Like if it's on the calendar for me, it's actually less about living in hope. Although I love that, concept it's more like at least to the best of my extent I have done the mental math to say like I'm gonna put this on the calendar but not this Mm -hmm. if I need to have a doctor's appointment tomorrow then I need to not go out tonight if a friend's birthday party is happening on Saturday I can't babysit my nephew you know like there's a constant sort of like shuffling of of what is quote-unquote not more important but just doable or not doable Yep, And it's so hard to explain that, A, I can try to do that as best as I can ahead of time. And I and I do a fairly good job. But then to your earlier point, like you often wake up and it's just like, oh, okay, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> or you're in the middle of a plan. And you're like, huh, okay, I'm gonna have to adjust in the moment. And it's been so hard to have that conversation especially with a partner right because it affects them too yeah and like how do I let you know that I'm okay right this second but if I am here for another hour I will be out of commission like the entire day tomorrow yes it's so hard. It's and it's it's hard to even understand in my own head sometimes and so trying to then communicate it to somebody else in a way that like makes any sense at all is yes. so tricky.
1: It is. And and the other emotion word that keeps coming up for me is just disappointment. Yeah. And I've said to my friends so many times, you think I would be used to this by now. Right? I mean, I had flashes before this, but even then, it's been 18 years. It's like, you would think I would just be used to, oh, I caught a stomach flu, and I'm going to be down for five days, and I have to cancel this date night. But sometimes it still makes me so sad. Yeah. It just hits you that here is something else I'm not going to experience. Yeah. And the disappointment of that just seems to rear up every now and then, no matter how much work I do. And I think that's just human. I think it's just human.
0: It it totally is. I really experience that too. Like most of the time I'm pretty good at doing the math and, and being okay with canceling and being okay with sort of moment to moment, figuring that out. And every now and again, it's just like, you know what? I just really, this sucks. Like, I just don't want to have to do this. Like I don't want to have to do the mental math. I'm exhausted all the time. Like I don't, I don't want to have to cancel plans. I want, and every now and again, it it really, really rears its head for me too. I think that's very normal. (sighs) (laughs) You were talking about trip planning a minute ago and going on this trip uh, to Italy in September, which I'm very excited about, but it's also like a hiking trip. And so I'm also nervous about it because of pelvic pain and And I've been thinking a lot lately about like, okay, how can I (laughs) like basically take a month of a buffer afterwards to, cause I know I'm going to, you know, you were talking about book fair weekend and how, unless you were literally bedridden, you would be there no matter what, even if it meant you had to make up for it afterwards. And I think that's another thing that that's pretty common that a lot of people don't understand is like, We can also go into something knowing that we are making a choice that's not ideal for our body. Right. But like having the right to make that decision and decide that like something else is more important today is really important too. I think
1: it is. It is. And something I have been working on with some special focus. past year or so is lowering my level of codependence, Mm -hmm. right? Being able to assert my own reality and not be infringed on by the realities of others Mm -hmm. and not feel pressured to do things just because someone else wants me to do them. Mm -hmm. And I think as women and moms, a lot of us struggle with that. Like I, I know it's kind of everywhere. But what you said about being important to be empowered to make our own choices, that's a really simple sentence, but it can be really hard to live out. And so I guess just to anyone who is listening who fights chronic illness on a day-to-day basis, I just want to say out loud, you have the right to live within your own choices of what is right for you and what is right for your body regardless of what other people expect of you, want of you, or think is, quote, normal. Right. Because only you can know you.
0: Only you can know. And it can be so difficult when somebody might see a picture of you, right, on a beach in Argentina, and they're like, but look, look, you're fine. You look fine. And it's like, no, I made that choice that day, that moment, and I knew what that was going to mean for me. And you didn't see a picture of me the next day in bed, you know, like it's just, it's so important to be able to make those decisions. Yeah. If you don't mind my asking, how do you and your husband juggle that in terms of, you said that you like to live in hope and put it on the schedule and, and I love that concept. How do you handle it when maybe you're not physically up for something, but It also affects him. And like, how does that sort of shake out if you don't, if you don't mind sharing? For us, I think
1: it has been an issue of developing really open, honest, authentic communication. Mm -hmm. And that sounds so basic. But (laughs) when I look back, like not only did I do white knuckling through it, he also did white knuckling through it. Right. This is just the way it is. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs)
0: Just get through
1: it. Just get through it. Just get through it. But then you realize later that he was pushing things down and not dealing with it and not dealing with his own emotions about it and not wanting to tell me that he had emotions about it because he didn't want to add to my burden. Right. And there were times when I was pushing through and doing things that I thought were important for him, not talking to him about it, just deciding within me, oh, this is important to him. So I'm not going to tell him i'm feeling this way so we weren't really having open communication and then we were all building up we were both building up hurts yeah and things we had to get over later so we went through the we're not communicating great about it stage Mm -hmm. then we went through the we've uncovered all the junk and realized that we all have baggage about this now (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like he has the things that really upset him that he didn't feel allowed to talk about at the time. So now, well, like for example, we had a Disney day back when we were really young and we had planned it. Disney world is super important to him. It was his happy place growing up. He still loves it. And I hadn't been there that much. And so we had spent all this time planning for this Disney day and I was going to push through because it was important. And I just decided I'm going to push through. And as we're driving over there, it's like an hour and a half. I just start feeling worse and worse and worse. Ugh. And as we get to the gates, I just like knew in my gut, we are going to pay all this money to get in for the day. And in like two hours, I'm going to be done. And I just started crying. Like we were driving through the gates of the happiest place on earth and I am <laughs> bawling. Yeah. He's like, what's wrong? You know? And of course he was completely sweet and gracious about it. He's a wonderful, empathetic human being, but it was kind of traumatic for both of us. Yeah of just having to deal with that. And I'm upset. And then he's having to deal with the fact that I'm upset. And then he's upset, but he's not telling me he's upset.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and then like, you know, I'm sure he wants to be accommodating. And and I'm sure also like, there's an aspect of like, well, if we did this, if you did actually push through, and then we're miserable the whole time, that's not going to be fun and special for him either. But like, if he doesn't know that's what's happening, how can he put his own input into that equation? Right? Like, it's so, oh my gosh, it's so hard to juggle. (laughs) Everybody's feelings. And yeah, it really
1: is. So then we were, you know, then we went through this phase where it was like before every decision, like, what vacation are we going to take? Okay, let's sit down, talk about the vacation baggage. If we plan this... What comes up in you? And, oh, no, if we stay at this kind of hotel, this reminds me of the time that this happened and that didn't work for you because their cleaning product made you sick. And, I mean, you know, whatever it was, like, we just talked through all the things. And there was a lot of awkwardness and kind of weirdness. But we were really trying to just be more open and deal with the baggage. And now we are pretty much in a place of open communication Where if one of us has a kind of trigger or background thing about it, we just say it. Mm -hmm. We both say what we honestly think. Yeah. And he will just tell me, I will tell you what my husband would say if I told him I thought we should do a hiking trip in Italy. (laughs) Okay. He would say, after thinking about it, because he's a thoughtful person, the next (laughs) day or the the next week or whatever, I've thought about it. And I am not going to be able to enjoy that. Mm. Because... I know there is a whatever percent chance, 15%, 20%, 30%, even if it's 10%, I am going to be picturing the whole time what happens if you collapse halfway through a hike in Italy and we have to change all our travel plans and I don't speak the language and you're throwing up on the side or you have a migraine and I suddenly have to rearrange this trip and figure out all the plan B's and C's. And that will stress me out so much. I will not enjoy it. Yeah. And so I say, that's okay. Maybe if my track record gets better, which as I live in hope, I hope and pray that in a year, two years, three years, I'm going to be stronger and better.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And maybe we will get to do that someday. But Mm -hmm. if hiking in Italy is something I cannot do at this point in my life, it is just okay. There are plenty of beautiful, wonderful things we can see and experience together that are more ideal for my situation.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, it's, it's really interesting to hear about the evolution. And I think it's very reminiscent of, of, me and my partner, but I think we're not quite at the <laughs> stage that you guys are at yet in terms of <laughs> just I think the saying how you really feel is is so important. And also it's not always easy to know how you really feel, right? You ha- you have to sort of take a minute. But yeah, I, I think that's a beautiful thing to aim for. And also it does kind of come into conflict a bit with the being able to make your own decisions about your own life, right? Like, what if you actually wanted to to do the trip, no matter what, like, even if there was a 10% chance, and then so how do you deal with that, right? Like, I don't know, I think that's just a part of being in a relationship in general, always is sort of thinking about how you're making decisions together, But also, it's so much more amplified. It can be so much more amplified with a chronic illness thrown in the mix.
1: Yep. Well, I will tell you, if hiking in Italy was my dream and I wanted to do it now, I would go do it with a friend. Yeah. Like, I have friends who are big adventurers, and it doesn't trouble them at all. They've been on vacations with me where I've been in bed the whole time. We went. I went with three girlfriends on a seven-night cruise. Mm -hmm. I literally came down with a fever and started the flu. The night we got there. No. Like they screen your temperature as you're getting on the boat. I was fine. Like I answered all the questions, honestly. Yes, I feel well. All is well. I got on the boat within three hours. I was like, I'm not feeling great. Started a fever. I spent the whole trip (laughs) in the cabin. No. I came to dinner twice. The people that were at our table... Asked them if I was a cancer patient. Oh my god. I came to dinner once and I looked so bad the next night they were like, Is this like an end-of-life cruise?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) But you still did you have but you said your friends were totally fine with it and they were completely fine. I gave them the freedom, of course, to
1: go out and do whatever they wanted to do. We had a great time. Yeah. And a couple of those women, if I said I wanted to go hiking in Europe, they'd be like, Great. We'll figure out a plan B. And if you get sick. (laughs) We'll leave you in the hostel. It'll be yeah. fine. But that does not work for my husband. Right. So right. that's fine. We don't plan stuff like that right now.
0: Yeah. I think that that's a really good point is that it doesn't always have to be with a specific person. It could be by yourself or with other people as well.
1: Yeah. Because certain people deal with things differently and
0: that's okay for too. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's really important. So how... Is your day-to-day life right now with Lyme disease and some of the other things you mentioned in terms of mercury, I don't want to say poisoning, what's the right term? Toxicity. Toxicity. Yep. How does that impact you right now? So
1: when I walked into my first holistic integrative medical doctor, I had very little progress made really for... Let me think five, like six or seven years. I, I could not find any way to really make progress. But when I walked into her office in 2012, I told her I was operating at about 30% or less 80% of the time. Wow. So that's where I was then. So that's Mm -hmm. hard, like really hard and not great. I would say now I operate at around 50%, probably about half the time. Mm-hmm. And then 25% of the time at better than that, which is pretty mm-hmm. great for me. Like I, yeah. it's a great day if I'm operating at 60%, 70%. That's a huge and then another Yeah. And then another 25% where I'm in the bed, where I have a migraine right. or I've come down with a bug or, and I'm, I'm really at, at lower. So it's. It's overall a lot better. I think I'm also at the stage where, first of all, I just did some like high tech gene therapy treatments for Lyme disease that are supposed to be kicking in like right now. And I have had a really good week this week. So I'm prayerful and hopeful that that is going to be another bump. But aside from that, I think with the mercury and the mold, I'm also at the place where when I am detoxing, when I'm treating it and trying to pull it out of my body, then that also makes me sicker. So Mm -hmm. I have had to deal a lot in the last five years because they've had such a hard time finding ways that work to get it out of my body. A lot of times it just makes me sick and doesn't work very well.
0: What are some ways that um, they have tried to get it out of your body?
1: All different supplements. I mean, there's sometimes some medication that's involved with certain things where they're like, this medication can help with with this thing. But it's mostly been different supplemental herb, mm-hmm. homeopathic, like different programs that they have put me on. Mm-hmm. And I'm just super sensitive. And so they've, like my doctors have realized, if like a normal detox dose for somebody is say two capsules. Mm-hmm. They start me on a quarter of a capsule.
0: Mm.
1: Wow, and a lot of times that will make me sick. Yeah, so I'm just really sensitive, and we have to go really slow. And but my new doctor is saying that once we get the Lyme under control and my immune system can calm down, that process should get easier. So,
0: living in hope. Yeah, (laughs) supplements are so tricky because a there's I mean there's such a sort of minefield of people in the quote-unquote health and wellness industry just trying to make money off of selling people supplements, right? And people will take anything if they think it'll help their chronic illness because, of course, I mean, I went through a huge phase of like five-plus years of castor oil and all these different pills and supplements and et cetera, different diets, and you'll try anything when you feel terrible for a while. So it it can be really sort of... perilous (laughs) in terms of like whose advice you're taking and what you're putting into your body with the hope of making yourself feel better. Right. Right. But I think it's such an important point. It sounds like it was a huge deal to find the Lyme disease because yeah, your point about like your system being sort of operating at a level of stress or pain or inflammation, and then hopefully calming that down will be a really good first step.
1: Yes, my doctor, what he said to me when he diagnosed the Lyme was, this is keeping your immune system both on high alert and exhausted all the time. Right. So it's like always running around in emergency mode and always exhausted. And so it's hard for you to make room to detox. It's hard to, this is why you get a cold and you're down for three weeks. Right. Because you just don't have the bandwidth. Your immune system doesn't have the bandwidth to fight it.
0: Yeah. So that reminds me a lot of um the sort of equation about chronic pain and particularly pelvic pain but i think it's i think it's across the board with chronic pain it's like at the same time your pain thresholds are so much higher than everybody else's because you're operating your two is most other people's like 12 right. <laughs> on a scale of 1 to 10 right so on the one hand you're you're operating at such a higher level of pain threshold because you have to. But on the other hand, the cup is so full that like one other thing poured onto it can send you into a crazy spiral. So like breaking your toe, <laughs> which might not be a huge deal for somebody else, is all of a sudden going to launch your body into like a month-long flare of other pain. It's, it just reminded me of what you're saying about like both running around and exhausted all the time.
1: Yes. Not a fun way to be. (laughs) No, I was he said that and I was like, that's what I feel like. I feel like that's what my
0: body (laughs) has been doing for 10 years. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. I really hope the the Lyme disease treatments work. Yeah, me too. They're called S O T
1: and they they take your blood and they find the exact specific bacteria that you have, (laughs) and they give you a gene therapy that attacks that specific bacteria. (laughs) and does not let it duplicate anymore within six months it's eradicated
0: huh what's the what is the therapy is it injections or
1: pills it's it is a an iv it's just one iv treatment huh one total for each bacteria that you target.
0: Oh wow, interesting. I'll be super interested to hear how you end up feeling like if you find it it helpful at all. I am I'm always a little hesitant to talk about specific treatments. Yeah. Here especially like I feel very comfortable talking about it with endometriosis because at this point I know more than most doctors about it. But with other things, especially, I'm never trying to give medical advice at all. Of course. I just want to talk to people about their experience. So anyways, I'll be very interested to hear how your experience is. Me too. (laughs) So if there's, what do you think, I like to kind of ask people, like, what do you think would sort of shift the field in terms of either specific illnesses and diseases you've experienced or chronic illness in general? Like what would be something that you think would make a really significant difference in this space for people? That's a great question.
1: I, when I look back on my story, if there was something that I wish somebody would have told me 15 years ago, I think it would be subtle for things that aren't working.
0: Mm.
1: When I look back Initially, it was putting myself in the hands of just regular medical doctors. I got a traditional primary, a traditional allergist, a traditional immunologist, and rheumatologist. And there were some minor improvements, but I sort of stayed on that mm-hmm. hamster wheel, even when they were all essentially looking at me going, well, have you thought about therapy? hmm And like asking Brett to leave the room so they could ask if I was being abused at home, you know, Mm -hmm. which I get they have to do that when you're sitting in their office crying. But I'm like, no, I am crying because you are not helping me. And I feel
0: terrible. And you are telling me there's no reason for it. Right. There's something wrong with me. And I don't know what it is. And you're telling me it's not there.
1: Yes. And looking back, I spent way too long with doctors who are not helping me. Yeah, And then what I did next was I went full on natural and went to like an acupuncturist and put myself in her hands for a while. And then I did like a kinesiologist and then like I did these practitioners. But even when I look back at that, that journey would have gone so much faster. I gave the acupuncturist almost two years. Oh, wow. And it was not, it was not moving the needle. It was helping me manage symptoms. Right. But it was not making me better.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And... Looking back, I wish in six months I would have said, this is not, I'm doing every, I mean, I put myself in her hands. I had a couple of friends who had used her. She was supposed to be the best in town. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if I would have felt like anything was harming me or uncomfortable, I would have pulled out, of course. But basically, sure. I took all her advice. Like I spent the money. I did supplements. I did, I came twice a week for treatment. And I wish I would have said after six months, this is not moving the needle instead of 20 months.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting. I think that's something that happens a lot because when you're in it, it's hard to sort of pull the lens back and say, is this working or is it just helping me manage symptoms? I think it's a really beautiful and important sentiment to people to say, like, take a minute (laughs) to really assess if it's moving the needle. And if not, do something else. And the something else can be so hard, right? Cuz like, yeah. There's such a scramble sometimes of like, well, what do I do next, right? But I think it's really important to have that first step of awareness of like, is this actually working? And if not, I might not know what the next step is, but I should not keep taking this step. Yeah. And
1: even if So then I found this doctor that really helped me, and that was awesome. But then I plateaued with her Mm. and I stayed with her plateaued for like three or four years because she had helped me before. So I trusted her. Right. But it took me four years to go, wait a minute. I mean, I'm glad I'm at 50%, 50% of the time. Right. But do I want to live here for my whole life? Right. No, like there's something, we're not making any progress. We've been trying to address the same thing in the same ways for three years and it's not working and I'm not better. And no, it's not fun to find a new doctor, but man, now I'm really glad I did because he found other things that needed to be addressed.
0: Yeah. I think that kind of goes to the concept of like, once you're out of survival mode, which sometimes you can't do anything except manage your symptoms, right? Absolutely. That's like the people that I tend to work with in coaching are kind of helping them come out of survival mode. So there's that. That's a whole different thing. You really have to sort of just be and figure out how to how to get out of survival mode before you can do any of the things I'm going to say next. But after that, there's this concept of like leveling up, not settling. Like, yes, it's great if something has worked in the past. And it's amazing if it keeps working, if it keeps making you feel better. But being aware of like, have you hit a plateau? Have you been seeing the same doctor for three years and and really not noticed a change except for for the first six months? And how do you kind of like take where you are as a new baseline? And how do you level up from there? Which is kind of a, a whole different level of like managing your chronic condition, right? Not just sort of sticking with the same things because they've worked in the past, but really thinking about like, how can I make it even better if that's possible? Yeah. I'm really glad that you're at that point of leveling up. That makes me happy. Well, and I just wanted to say
1: as much as I was just talking about, I wish I essentially would have moved on faster and gotten to some of these points quicker. I also just want to very clearly say that I have been through the times of survival mode where changing a practitioner was not even an option. Oh, Uh, there was no bandwidth for you're just surviving. You are just surviving that spot you are in, whether it's just with yourself or with what's going on with your family, your kids. Yeah. And it is always okay to give yourself space and grace to be where you are. And if there's no more, there's no more. Yeah. and you can't you can't do anything about it and that's okay.
0: Do you know spoon theory? Yes. <laughs> so for for listeners who don't know spoon theory is a concept within the chronic illness space that everybody has a certain amount of spoons to give to different activities, right? So maybe for a person who doesn't suffer from chronic illness, it might take a half a spoon to get up and Take a shower and get dressed and go to work, or it might take three spoons to go on a business trip for a week or, you know, et cetera. But for people with chronic illness, you both have more limited spoons and they, and every action can take more spoons. Yeah to do. So for me, when I, you know, before my surgery, for example, getting up and taking a shower and getting ready for work, just about depleted my spoons for the entire day because it was so much effort. So it just made me think when you were saying like, it's always okay to take space and just take what you need. I think it's so, so, so important. There are times And for a lot of people with chronic illness and pain, it's going to happen multiple times throughout your life that you are just in survival mode. And it's okay. It happens to all of us. And it's really important to, like, honor that and to just do whatever you need to do. And then everything else we're talking about in terms of communication and finding new practitioners or... Dealing with how to go on a trip, stuff like that. That is all beyond survival mode. Like that will come, but first you have to take care of yourself. Yeah. I
1: hit a moment a few months into postpartum depression and chronic illness. So I was depressed emotionally, very sad, anxious, not sleeping well, and fighting infection. I had to have help all the time. My oldest was three, and we had him in a three-year-old preschool three days a week. And then the days when he was home, we had somebody come and help me. So I literally couldn't be at home with my two children by myself on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And I felt... So worthless.
0: Hmm.
1: I it was at this point in my life that I started to realize all of the messaging that I'm sure people didn't even intend to give me. I'm not even sure all the places it came from. But the messaging of your worth comes from what you do. Yeah. And I looked at myself and I said, here I am. I don't have a job, so I'm not contributing to our family or to society in any other way. I am Supposed to be taking care of these children.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I can't even do that. We are having people come in and help us, both paid and volunteer, people from church and whatnot, to do everything from clean the house, to do groceries, to make meals, to play with the children while I'm in the bed. And there was a time where I was near suicidal. Like I say, I wasn't mm-hmm. quite suicidal, but I got near it. Mm-hmm because I literally felt so worthless. I thought it would be better for my family if I died and he could go marry someone else that could actually be a mother to these children. And what I had to learn through the beautiful people around me and a really good therapist and a really great church was my identity was in who I am, and the love that I have to give and the presence that I have with my kids. I remember when my therapist said to me, no one else can be their mother like you. No one else can cuddle them like you. Even if all you can do is once a day, sit on the couch with them and cuddle them and read them a book and be present. You are being their mom. Mm -hmm. And you are being successful as a mom. Yeah, And I did not believe her when she first said that to me. And it took a long time to do the inner work to make that true. But now I know it's true. And the other thing I know is true. (sighs) I may start crying saying it. Is that for every party I've had to cancel or trip that's gone wrong. There has been a gift on the other side that has made our family's life richer and more beautiful. Mm -hmm. My boys, I used to feel terrible that I was not out there taking them to the park and the pool and museums and the beach, like all the other moms that had energy. They are two of the most beautiful human beings. They are so empathetic and caring. And I credit my husband a lot with that because he is one of the most empathetic men you will ever meet. And is just such a wonderful, open-hearted relational person that he really helped keep all of that relationship open and caring through the troubled times. But I watched my kids... Reach out their hearts and empathy to kids who were different than them, yeah. kids who were being bullied, because they had just had to be raised in a house where we tenderly cared for each other every day because we did survival mode. Right. And because we couldn't all be the same. My youngest son also has some special needs. And so there were challenges with that, but they are also really special, beautiful individuals. My husband and I, through my challenges, and he has his own challenges because every human does. That's the thing, right? Like for someone with chronic illness, it's just more obvious. And in some ways you're forced to deal with it. Yeah. I feel like I was forced to have my midlife crisis at age 27. (laughs) But by working through those things together, we have the most beautiful confident loving nurturing powerful marriage i know i know deep down that a lot of it is because of what we've had to go through and having to learn to navigate these things and love each other through them yeah and that is a a deep truth that i had no context for in my late 20s but i can Honestly, look back and say, I would not choose my life to be different Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because these gifts are so rich and so beautiful that I would not risk losing them. Mm -hmm. I would not risk losing them for more activity, Mm -hmm. for more restaurants, for more vacations. I would keep my life the
0: way it is. That's beautiful. And your boys are those empathetic strong caring people because of your husband i'm sure i'm sure everything you said about him is 1000% true but also because of you because of the care that you brought to them and the way that you were a mom are a mom to them that nobody else could be i think the sentiment of knowing who we are and knowing that who we are isn't not only enough but is actually a real gift to the people in our lives rather than putting the emphasis on what we do or how we can contribute to society or how much money we make or whatever <laughs> is something that is is so deeply difficult to truly believe and I think that the one of the real gifts that can come with chronic illness is really being forced to look at that and be like uh, at first like no of course not (laughs) yeah like of course it's more about what I do than who I am. But then over time, come to know yourself and your gifts and see the way that you do contribute to the world around you just by who you are. I think that's one of the most beautiful things that comes with having a chronic illness. Yeah. And it's just so easy because
1: Your natural thought is, well, but look at all these wonderful people out here. They're beautiful people, too. And they get to do all the things. You know, why am I the person that in order to be a beautiful person, I have to suffer half the time? (laughs) There are just times when that just stinks. Yeah. It just does. It just does. But the shift to understanding that, and I think this is really, again, true for everyone, but... Oftentimes, our weakness is also our superpower. Exactly. And to embrace that superpower along with the weakness. You know, scripture says, When I am weak, then I am strong.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And I think
0: that's just a beautiful universal truth. And I think in sharing the stories of our lowest moments, of our weaknesses, of the times when it just really sucks and we just wish it weren't that way. It also kind of allows that space, right, that we all go through those. We all have those weaknesses and you're not alone. Like you are not the only one experiencing that isolation, that sense of like worthlessness, that sense of what am I doing with my life? How am I contributing? I wish I could do this and this. I wish I could be this kind of mom, this kind of person, this kind of partner. It's such a common thing to go through. And, it, and yeah. if you sharing your story and thank you so much for sharing it helps somebody else feel like they're just not alone. Yes. That's to me the most important thing. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Trisha. This was a lovely a conversation.
1: It was great to talk to you. Oh, uh, well, thank you for having me. It was an honor and a pleasure to get to have this conversation with you. And I look forward to following this project. I'm super excited for you. And I know it's going to be encouraging to me to listen to your episodes as well.
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Trisha. Talking to her was incredibly impactful and moving for me. And I really hope it was for you too. Stay tuned for our next episode in two weeks. In the meantime, if you want to learn more about me or about coaching, visit my website at www.reviveandthrivecoach.com. You can always email me at katie at reviveandthrivecoach.com or check me out on Instagram. It's Coaching. All right. Can't wait to see you next time. Thank you.